0: Luke 17, and we're going to be in verses 20 through 27, so a pretty good chunk here. Um, we're coming to the end, as I said, of 2014. This is the last Sunday of 2014. You can think back to a year ago um, today and think about how much did you know was going to happen in this year, what has happened in in your life or in the life of our church, things that, that you knew were coming, things yeah. that you had no clue were coming, um, it's amazing what can happen in a year. And even as we kind of look down two thousand and fifteen, you might have some plans, some ideas about what's going to happen, even just ma- mundane routines of life that you think are going to happen. And yet we don't know what does what does the next year hold for us? Um, there it's it's there are many things that are sort of up in the air. We're not sure what will happen. Uh, this This text speaks in many ways to the to the future to what is going to happen in the future, and and about how we know certain things and other things we we really don't know. That we can be encouraged by by the things that we know, and we can also trust God in the things that we don't know about about what is coming, specifically about the kingdom of God that is coming, God's rule and and His reign. We even said last week as we were talking about Christmas, Christmas is the the first advent of Christ, the first coming of Christ, and it announces and, and brings, as it were, the kingdom of God to earth in, in a certain way, and yet we are also awaiting the fullness of the kingdom to come. Uh, that when Christ comes in his, in his second advent, with the return of Christ, that he will come and he will set up his kingdom fully and finally here on earth. And so we live throughout every year of our life in this tension of the, the already and the not yet of the kingdom. And and we, we feel that tension in many ways. We, we feel the joys of the way that the kingdom is already here, and we feel the the pain and the sorrow of the ways that the kingdom is, is not yet here. And so we, we live in this tension. In this passage, Jesus is going to give us characteristics of the kingdom, characteristics, the characteristics of the kingdom as it is here now and as it is coming. And he's talking primarily about the coming of the kingdom of God in the future. I think the message that Jesus is giving to us in these verses, verses twenty through thirty-seven, is that we should accept and await the kingdom. That's part of the tension that we're living in. We accept the kingdom and we await the kingdom. I want to jump right in and read Luke seventeen verses twenty through thirty-seven. Before I do that, just a note on the text. You might look at verses thirty-five, thirty-six, and thirty-seven. If you look at the, your your verse numbers in mine, it goes thirty-five. 37, which was confusing to me as I was studying it. There's this, your Bible might have verse 36. I have a note that says it reads, Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. This is just so you're aware of what's going on here. There's some people that say this is not in the earliest texts, and so it was probably some sort of an addition that a scribe maybe put in. Um, and so for mo- in my version, it is, it is not in there. It may be in yours, it may not. It doesn't take away from the reliability of the passage, but just so you're aware, why is that jumping numbers and, and why do I have it? Why is he not reading that passage? Just so you're aware of what's going on. If you have questions about that, I'd be happy to talk to you more about that. But let's read uh, Luke 17, and I'll begin in verse 20, and read all the way to verse 37. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is is in the midst of you. And he said to the, to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or Look here. Do not go out to, or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day... Let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Accept and await the kingdom. I told my wife this week, you know, the week after Christmas it would be nice to have just a real simple passage to preach on Sunday. (laughs) But this is what we have before us, and so this is what we will study this morning. The text breaks down well into two parts. One is obviously going to be larger than the other. Verses 20 and 21 are Jesus' response to a question from the Pharisees, and he's going to deal with the kingdom as it is here now in the present. And then verses 22 through 37 are some teaching that's directly pointed at the at the, the disciples. You notice that he says to the disciples, no, verse 22 through 37, and it's about the, the coming of the kingdom, the future coming of the kingdom. And so that's the best way for us to think about it. And that's how it, kind of how we'll break it down um, this morning. Just think in two large sections. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is coming. And we're going to talk about some characteristics of the kingdom um, in both those senses. So the question is from the Pharisees in verse 20. They say, they're asking when the kingdom of God would come. When is the kingdom of God going to, to show up? They, they are assuming that when the kingdom comes, it's going to be very plain to see because of their understanding of how the kingdom is going to come. They, they are assuming that the kingdom will come with a conquering Messiah king. So when the Messiah comes, this long-awaited one is going to show up. He's going to come with a sword. He's going to reign on a throne. He's going to get rid of the Romans. He's going to reestablish Israel as as a power on the earth. That's what, the, that's what it's going to look like. And so they're saying, when is this going to happen? Because we're obviously going to see it. And it's obviously not right now because the Romans are still ruling over us and there is no king on a, on a throne. But Jesus is telling them the kingdom is here kingdom is here now. And he gives them some characteristics of how the kingdom is here. He, he says, the kingdom is here and it has come in ways that cannot be observed. That's the first thing we see. It has come in ways that cannot be observed. That's what, just basically what he says there in verse 20. The kingdom is not coming in ways that can be observed. One resource I read, God's reign is not coming with observation. It's not coming in such a way that its rise can be observed or can be seen. It's not going to look like a king rising to a throne. Jesus doesn't come as a conquering king, but he comes as a as a suffering servant. He, he he didn't come in his first advent, the first coming in the incarnation when he's born. He doesn't come in a way that causes everyone to say, "Look, it's the kingdom. He's he's here." There was confusion about his ministry. There was division about his ministry. He shakes up the religious leaders and he embraces the outcasts. And it comes in a way that they don't understand. He doesn't throw out the Romans. He doesn't sit on a throne. It, it doesn't make sense to everyone. He's come in a way that, that cannot be observed in the way that a typical typical kingdom would, would show up on earth, like we might imagine. But related to that, let me just say it a different way. So it, is, it has come in ways that cannot be observed. Second, it has come subtly in a Messiah that no one would expect. It's come subtly. It's become it's come quietly. It's come in, in this this subtle way. And it's come with a Messiah that, that no one would expect. A, a man from Nazareth. Uh, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Is what is said about that place. This is how um, one of my favorite books, the Jesus Storybook Bible, says uh, about his, his first coming. This is how it describes um, the, the beginning. It says, Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. That 's how Jesus first arrives. The Pharisees are looking for big signs of the the coming of the kingdom, but Jesus is telling them that the the kingdom actually is is here that the man standing in in front of them is the king and and he he's, he's come in that moment and while he is not reigning in the sense that they understand he has come to defeat sin and death. And how is he going to accomplish that? How is he going to begin this, this reign? How is he going to, to start the kingdom on earth? Well, there's another phrase that's later on in the passage that, that says, in, it says in verse 25, but first, speaking of, of the Son of Man, of Jesus, first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. So the kingdom is here and it has, it has come through suffering and rejection. It has come through suffering and rejection. It almost feels like a side comment here, but it's, it's, it's as if this is the, the hinge on which all, the, the, the kingdom being here and the kingdom coming is, is, is set on the suffering and the rejection of Jesus. The kingdom that we know as it is here now in our midst has come through suffering, it's come through rejection, it's come through death and resurrection in Jesus. The way that Jesus comes as a conquering King, to conquer sin and to conquer Satan, is by dying. And no one thought, no one saw that coming. No one had any clue that that was going to happen. The kingdom of God is 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 in our midst. It's it's here even now, isn't it? We, we can say that Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It is, it is here, because Jesus has come. So even in this this small gathering, smaller than even we normally are, that, that, that the kingdom of God is this is the kingdom of God right here. It's shown up in this this subtle way that no one expected. And if we're given eyes to see, then we, we can see that, that Jesus truly is this, this conquering king. He is the one who has crushed death by dying. He that the kingdom of God is seen through Jesus. It's it's seen through us, it's seen in the love that we have for one another and the love that we have for God. We need to be careful that we're not like the Pharisees. That we're not disappointed with the way that the kingdom is here now. I think I can get that way. That I'm disappointed with how the kingdom is here now. That, and there's this, this sense in which the present expression is just a foretaste and we should have a longing for the, for the coming kingdom but we also shouldn't necessarily be totally dissatisfied with what God is, is doing here and now there's there's a great work that God is doing. He Jesus tells us you're going to do greater works than even I did. And the greater work is is the salvation of souls. It's it's this inward invisible thing that happens when when people come to faith in Christ. We we don't see that when it happens. There's an there's an inward work that the kingdom of God is doing in our own hearts and lives in in sanctification. The the battles of the kingdom that we have now are not battles that are outward that we necessarily see but We see that Paul tells us that the battles are against flesh. They're not against flesh and blood. They're against principalities and powers. There's battles that we wage every day. And that God gives us victory over sin and over Satan in our lives. And and no one sees that. The the victories that we have are not in, in lands taken. Sometimes a victory is in a meal that's taken to someone. It doesn't look like the kingdom, does it? But that's, that's love for God. That's love for others that shows up. And that's how the kingdom is, is expressed even now. It's happening. It's happening in this small group of individuals. It's happened throughout this whole history of this church and of, of the church itself. That, that God's love is shed abroad in our hearts and it shows up in, in small ways, in, in hidden ways, in ways that the world doesn't really look at and think are amazing. But, but it's here. The kingdom is in our midst. The work of the kingdom is love. Love for God, love, love for others. It's, it's cups of cold water in the name of Jesus. It's, it's speaking the good news of the gospel clearly to those that need to hear it. So the, the kingdom is here. Let's not be disappointed with the way that the kingdom has arrived. It's, it's in our midst, and it's, and it's among this, this church. It is here. But we are also awaiting this, this coming kingdom. So the kingdom is here, and, and second, the, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. Let's think about some characteristics of this coming kingdom. If the kingdom has come now in ways that cannot be observed, then when it comes in the future, it will come in ways that that are obvious, is what Jesus says. It's, It's come now in ways that cannot be observed. It will come in the future in ways that are obvious. Jesus tells the disciples, there are days that are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. I think there's a hint there for the disciples that Jesus is going to leave. This is maybe one of the first hints of that. He's hinted at his death, but he's also hinting that, that you will live and there'll be a day when you want to see one of the days of the Son of Man showing up on earth. You'll want to see the kingdom fully established and it won't be there. You'll long for that, but, but it won't be there. There's a longing. We long for that, don't we? That's that's a right longing, for the fullness of the kingdom to come. We We say with John and revelation even so come quickly lord jesus we want the kingdom of god to come now there's a day that we are longing for that but there's a day when we long for that even now and it and it hasn't come and it won't come until it's time and in the midst of that longing some people show up and they say look there or look here people start saying that the, the, they they capitalize on this longing that we have for the coming and they say the kingdom is here the messiah has returned they say look he's coming May 21st, 2000. I think it was 11, wasn't it? Was that Harold Camping that said that's when he's coming? And and all throughout history, my testimony is one that a guy came through our church and was was preaching, and he was—I don't know if he wrote the book or was espousing the views of the book. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988 which has been like 25 years ago. So he was wrong. You know? But God used that to, to awaken my heart. But still, th- this is a strange fascination. Where People will say, look, this guy is the Messiah. Or someone will stand up and say, I am Jesus. I have returned. And people start following that and they get confused. And Jesus says, don't listen to that. Don't go out and don't follow them. Don't listen to people like that is what Jesus is telling. Don't listen to people that focus on dates, that that make predictions about when Jesus is going to come back, people who claim that they are Jesus. Jesus is saying here, they are fools. Don't don't follow that stuff. Don't get caught up in trying to interpret the newspaper with the Bible or the Bible with the newspaper. Don't, don't get pulled into that. It's, it's a waste of time, Jesus is saying, because what you know is that he's, he's coming. And the thing he says, don't listen to that because... He says, for as the lightning flashes, verse 24, and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. Jesus says when he returns, it's going to be as clear as a worldwide lightning strike. Can you imagine what that would be like? A strike of lightning that everyone in the world sees. He says that's how clear it's going to be. There's going to be no question as to whether or not he has come. This is, this is encouraging. This is comforting. You have not missed it. <laughs> it, it. Because everyone will know. Everyone will know when he comes. It's going to be obvious to everyone. So he came into the world quietly. He revealed himself to a small group of shepherds and to some stargazers in the east, right? But when he shows up the second time, he's going to show up with shouts and with with trumpets and lightning strikes and and thunder. It's going to explode across the entire world, and you can't miss it. Has someone ever given you directions, or maybe you've given someone directions, and at the end of those directions you say, you can't miss it. There's no way you can miss it. So someone says, I need to know how to get to um, to the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory. Oh, go downtown, get on Main, look for the big bat. You can't miss it. You know, you'll see the giant bat and you'll know that you're there. And and this is what the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like. Everyone will know it has happened. So So don't. Jesus is discouraging us from listening to people who are always trying to determine when, the whens and the where's of the kingdom, or, or those who are saying it has come. And he's encouraging us, he's saying, you're, you're not going to miss it, and you haven't missed it. When the kingdom comes, it will come in ways that are totally obvious. I find that encouraging. I find that really encouraging. So, you know, people make that joke. Everyone was gone. I thought the rapture happened. You know, it's it's kind of a funny joke. But when 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 Christ comes back, when the Son of Man returns, we will know. We will know that He is here. So the kingdom is coming. It's going to come in ways that are obvious. Let's think. Second, if the kingdom has come now subtly through a Messiah that no one expected, then when it comes in the future, it's going to come suddenly on unsuspecting people. It will come suddenly on unsuspecting people. Jesus gives two illustrations starting in verse 26 on through verse 30. Two illustrations, one from the days of Noah and one from the days of Lot. Now often people take these illustrations and say that what Jesus is saying is that there was wickedness in Noah's day, there was wickedness in the days of Lot, and so too it's going to be a wicked day when you know things are just going to go really bad and then Christ is going to return. But that's not at all really what Jesus is saying here. Surely there they were wicked times. But I don't know that it was it was any more uniquely wicked and sinful than any other time period in history. Because even after the flood happens, we see that sin continues to reign on earth. Noah himself gets drunk pretty soon after the flood happens. So I don't know that it's some sort of unique wickedness that happens here. It's certainly not what Jesus is focusing on on here. He's not focusing on the uniqueness of that time. In fact, he's focusing on how ordinary that time was. He's saying that the people were doing the things that all normal people do the activities that he lists here are not extraordinary they're ordinary he says in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage that's just what you do in the days of lot they were eating and drinking buying and selling planting and building it's just things that were happening so you have plans this year maybe you're making resolutions about the food that you will eat maybe you're thinking about um, plans to go to a wedding Maybe you'll get married this year. Maybe you have plans for your business, things that you're going to buy. Come summer, you might plant a garden. You might buy a house. These these are normal, everyday, yearly things that we do. And the people in Noah's day, they were just going about their daily lives. When all of a sudden, destruction comes on them. The sky opens up. The ground splits open and water spills out and they are drowned and destruction comes upon the earth. They had plans that year they had things that they were going to do even for that day and none of that happened because suddenly destruction came upon them same thing for the people in lots day the people in sodom they had they had a schedule to keep the next day you know they had doctor's appointments they had grocery lists they had you know their they had lunch appointments but then all of a sudden in an instant in a moment god rains down fire on them possibly through some sort of volcanic eruption it just comes on them suddenly They weren't expecting it at all. Men and women were eating and drinking, and suddenly destruction came upon them. It just just happened in the course of everyday life. And this is how it will be when the Son of Man returns. He describes it in verses 34 and 35 with these everyday normal things. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, and the other left. So this is probably a a husband and wife sleeping in, in the same bed. And one of them is going to be taken as Noah was, was taken out, was preserved. And the other will be left to destruction. There's a discrepancy about, you know, is it those that are taken that are, going, that are facing destruction or is it those that are left that are facing destruction? It doesn't really matter. But I think if the parallel is Noah and Lot, then it seems that the one who's being taken out is the one that's being preserved. And those that are left are left for destruction. So I think that's the best way to think about it. But then the other one is... Um, There'll be two women working, the grinding meal together. And one will be taken and, and the other one is, is going to be left. And just as Lot was, was pulled from the fire, one of those women will be pulled away and destruction will come on the other one. These, these illustrations are used elsewhere in Matthew and Mark. I think in Matthew and Mark... As best I understand, I didn't go deep into this, but that, that's probably referring to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. It's the same sort of illustration, but Jesus is allowed to use illustrations for various things. So here I think he's talking about the second coming, just a side note there. But, so we're looking at 2015, right? You're making plans. Maybe you're making resolutions. And as we do them, we need to do what, what James tells us to do. We need to always recognize that we are only going to do these things if the Lord wills. Because 2015 could be the year. I mean, 2014 still could be the year that Jesus returns. Because it's going to happen suddenly. You've got plans. You've got lunch plans, right? You've got places you're going to go today. you got places you're going to go tomorrow. You've got plans for New Year's Eve. Who knows what might happen? What we don't know. It's going to happen in the midst and in the course of everyday life. How should we feel about that? How should you feel about the fact that, that in any moment Christ could return and he will come and set up his kingdom? How, how should that make us feel? I guess it depends, right? It depends on what you think about how he's coming. Because it, it, this is the third characteristic I want to give you about the, the kingdom that is, that is coming. If the kingdom came now through suffering and rejection, then when it comes, it's going to come with salvation and destruction. To come with salvation and destruction, I think that's that's what's going on here, right? Noah is rescued, and the world is destroyed. Lot and his family are rescued, and the world is destroyed. One is taken, and the others are left to destruction there 's a soberness there 's a seriousness about the return of Christ because it is salvation for some, but it is death and destruction for others. Some will be saved, but many will be destroyed. When Jesus returns, there will be those that are rescued and there will be those who face his wrath. The the closing verse, verse 37, is a confusing one, isn't it? They said to him, the disciples, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. What does that mean? (laughs) I think that Jesus may be encapsulating a couple ideas that he's had here. One is that, that when the kingdom comes, it will be obvious. And second, when the kingdom comes, it's going to be to use another O word to be. It's going to be ominous. It's going to be a little scary. This idea that when you see vultures flying, you say, "Oh, something's dead." It's it's obvious. Something something has happened. There's there's a corpse. There's a body. There's something in that field because the vultures are circling. And in the same way that the coming of the kingdom is going to be obvious but isn't it interesting that he uses vultures circling a dead body to talk about the coming and how obvious it's going to be it's an ominous thing it's it's a it's a scary thing because the kingdom signals death and destruction for some so what do we do all with all this you know how do we live in light of the fact that the kingdom is is here and that especially that the kingdom is coming how do what do we do with that I think the bulk of the application is in verses 31 to 33. Let me just read those verses again. On that day, Jesus says, the day when he returns, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. The general application, if I could just say one thing, is is be prepared for the coming kingdom. He's just saying, you need to be prepared for the coming kingdom. What's that going to look like? The first thing is, receive the kingdom as it is now here. Receive the kingdom as it is now expressed. Jesus says nothing to the Pharisees about the coming kingdom. He he tells them what they need to know about the kingdom as it is now here, and then he turns to the disciples and tells them about the coming kingdom. Because unless we have received the kingdom as it is here now, then the coming kingdom only means judgment for us. Jesus is saying you need to accept the kingdom as it is here now. We need to accept that Jesus has come as the Savior of the world, that he has come and he has established his rule on earth by his perfect life, by his death by His resurrection, by His ascension, and by His promise that He will come again. He has established that He is the King. And He's calling all people, He's calling everyone to turn from sin, to turn in faith to Him as the Lord, as, as the King. If you've never come to a saving knowledge of Him, that's what He's calling you to you now. He wants you to be prepared for the coming Kingdom, and the way to be prepared for the coming Kingdom is to recognize that the Kingdom has come. It has come in Jesus, and Jesus has conquered sin and death by dying and rising from the dead. He, he offers forgiveness of sins if we will if we will turn, if we will repent from sin, and we will put our trust and our faith in Him alone. Because when He comes on the last day, He comes to judge sin. But He has come in His first advent to be judged for our sin. He has come to become a substitute to take the penalty for our sins. So when He comes in the second judgment, those who have put their faith in Him, confessed our sins and trusted in Him, He will have nothing to judge within us because Jesus has taken the full wrath for our sins upon Himself. So if we trust Him now when He returns, there will be no judgment left for us because it has all been poured out on Christ. But if we do not receive Him now, if we do not receive the kingdom as it is now here expressed in Christ, then when he comes in that coming judgment, he will judge us for our sins. So if you want to be prepared for the coming kingdom, the first thing to do is to receive the kingdom as as it is now here to repent and to believe in Christ. The other way to be prepared, I think, is, is don't assume that proximity to others will save you. Don't assume that just because you're close to other people, you're going to be saved. There's two in one bed. We assume they're probably husband and wife. And maybe the husband assumes, well, my wife is a Christian, and so when Jesus comes, well, I'll go as well. But, but then when he comes, one is taken and the other is left to destruction. We, we can't assume that proximity to friends even, this one, these two are working together, these two women. One is taken and the other is left. I think that, that Lot's wife is, a, is an amazing example. She's pulled out from the city. She is part of Lot's family. She is rescued. If you know that story at all, so God is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. And he sends angels into the city to see what's going on, and they, they find out what's going on. But because of God's love for Abraham, who is related to Lot, those angels are to take Lot and his family out of the city before it is destroyed. Lot and his family love Sodom and Gomorrah, though, for some reason. They've, they've grown attached to the things there, and it tells us there that, that they kept lingering in the city to the point that the angel grabs Lot and his family, and they drag them out of the city. They're told not to turn back. And as they are walking away from the city, away to the hills to be saved, to be rescued, Lot's wife turns and looks. I don't know if it was just a turning and a looking, or if in fact she went back. But, but it, whatever it is, she is turned into a pillar of salt, the Bible tells us. She is destroyed. She was part of Lot's family. She was, she was pulled out. She was as close to salvation as you could be. But she was still destroyed. Closeness, proximity to others will not save us in the end. Lot's wife has a lot to teach us though that simple verse verse 32 remember Lot's wife those three words pack a big punch i think they don't tell us not they tell us not only that, that proximity to others won't save us but also don't become consumed with the things of this earth don't become consumed with the things of this earth that's what's going on with with Lot's wife that that's that's the instructions on that day let no one who is on the house top with his goods in the house so they're up on the roof a flat roof and they realize destruction's coming. It says, "Don't don't try to go back in the house and get your goods. Don't come down and try to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Don't 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 be so attached to this world that that you think that there's something that we're going to take with us. He said, God, Jesus is saying, don't be consumed with the things of this earth. Remember Lot's wife. She loved Sodom and Gomorrah. She loved this world so much that when judgment was coming. She was willing to risk that judgment because she loved the things of this world. That's a tough application. And I don't know exactly what that looks like for each of us, but it's, there's something about this world that, that can capture our hearts that we can become so consumed with it that we forget that we are members of the kingdom of God. We become citizens of the kingdom of this world so much so that we lose the reward, that we lose our, our focus on who Christ is. Part of that, what it looks like to not be consumed with the things of this earth is to lose our lives for Christ. Lose our lives for Christ. I think that's a, the, maybe the fourth way I'd say it. So so we said, as far as application, receive the kingdom as, as it is now here. Don't, don't assume that proximity to others will save you. Don't become consumed with the things of earth and lose your life for Christ would be the last one. He says what he says also in, in chapter 9. I t- he says, um, verse 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. The the, um, the paradox of the kingdom. If you're trying to keep your life in this world, if you're trying to hold on to everything that you can now, then you will lose your life in the end. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Loses his soul in the end. But he says if you give up everything, if, if you if you invest yourself fully in in this unseen kingdom that is now here in your midst then you will save your life you will preserve it on that day when when Christ returns we will be we will be saved if he is lord over us if we have submitted to him i think these are good applications to think about in the coming year don't be consumed with the things of this earth Let, let's make this a year where we focus on the kingdom as it is here and as that we would look to the kingdom People say you're so you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. <laughs> Jesus says we have to think about heaven. We have to think about the fact that Christ is coming. And if we think about that way, then we won't love the things of this world. We won't be like Lot's wife. We will be seeking to lose our life because we realize there's something greater that is coming. We'll lose our life for the sake of Christ. I think this is a you know I I just go passage by passage through Luke, and it just sort of lands on the day that it lands on. But I'm so thankful that at the last Sunday of 2014 that this is the passage that we're looking at. Because I think this is good, isn't it? To to stop, to pause, to peer into the next 365 days that are coming, and to think. To think about what might happen. I have no date for you. I have no predictions i have no suspicions i have nothing to say but but i know i know this i know that it could happen cuz it's going to happen when we're walking around just in our daily lives it could happen while you're eating dinner it could happen while you're celebrating the new year coming in it could happen while you are the guest at a wedding sometime this summer it could happen as you're planting your garden in the spring it could happen while you are at work it could happen while you are asleep in your bed are we ready when Christ comes will we be ready for that we need to live in the present reality of the kingdom we need to hold loosely to the things of this earth we need to lose our lives for the sake of Christ we need to call others to be ready to say that Christ is coming he will be he will be returning have you have you accepted him in his kingdom as it is shown up now so that when he returns you will be there that you, he will be your lord if we're in Christ we should have no fear of this coming if we are walking with him, there should be no fear, no shame of the coming kingdom. We should have no unhealthy preoccupation with when it's going to happen, but we should be preoccupied with the fact that it is going to happen. And we should overwhelm us with this longing that says, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Some of us, even as followers of Christ, we don't want to say that, because, because maybe we are consumed with the things of this earth. Maybe we have not lost our lives fully for Christ. and so. I think as we as we look to this new year that we would say this could be the year. I want to live in light of the coming of Christ. I want to live in light of the fact that it could happen at any moment. And I want to be able to say with a, with a clear conscience with with my eyes open to the reality of to say come lord Jesus come and, and set all things right. Because we we know if we are in Christ that when he comes yes that there will be Uh, There will be pain and there will be suffering that happens on this earth. But if we are in Christ, we will be pulled out as Noah, as Lot. We will be pulled out. We will be rescued because of the grace of God. So I encourage you to, to live in the reality of the kingdom as it is now here. But also to live in the reality that the kingdom is coming. Don't be consumed with the things of this world. Let's lose our lives for the sake of Christ. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on God's word and then I will close this in prayer. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to accept the kingdom as it is here now and to await the coming kingdom. Lord, let us not do it with fear. Let us not await that coming kingdom with preoccupation about when it will happen. But let us love your appearing. Love that you are, are coming. Lord, help us to live in light of it too. I pray for 2015, God, that it would be a year where we we think about the fact that you will return at any moment and that that will shape the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we act. Well, let that be true for the rest of our lives. May you be, Lord, and we long for the day, God, when you do come, and you set all things right. And so we wait with expectation eagerly. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who is not ready, that if you came, they would not be taken. They would be left for destruction. But I pray that they would come to know Christ as Savior. Prowl this in Jesus' name. Amen.